This morning we are reading from Acts 2, verses 1 through 13. Please follow along as I read. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound, like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. Thank you, Janae. Good morning, Encounter Church. It's nice to have Janae and Zach up here. We didn't do that necessarily on purpose, but it just so happened that uh, Janae and Jack would, uh, Janae and Zach, that's kind of a fun, <laughs> Janae and Jack. I like that. Don't make that mistake on your wedding invitations, all right? Yeah, but uh, just thinking about them as they'll be, uh, as they're uh, marching toward marriage there in October and excited for them. Uh, for sure. And well, we are, we find ourselves back here in Acts chapter 2. We started this teaching series uh, last Sunday uh, entitled, We Are Witnesses, and talked about the importance. As we're looking at the, as we're traveling through the book of, of Acts, uh, looking at the book of Acts from, the, from that perspective of being witnesses. That's how Luke concluded his first book, his account of Jesus' life there uh, at the end of Luke. He said that uh, Jesus said, you'll be witnesses of my resurrection, and you'll share this. And then he begins, as we learned last, uh, last week, uh, the instruction that Jesus gave them. He says, you are witnesses of, of my resurrection, and now go and tell uh, to, to all the earth, right, starting in Jerusalem. And so uh, here we have, though, uh, in chapter 2, uh, the giving of the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, this week, uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've been doing at my at our house, uh, at our farm, we've been doing some uh, renovation, some fairly significant renovations on our barn. And uh, this week, and I have a, I have a really a wonderful gentleman who's helping in that task. And uh, so this week, we encountered some uh, electrical matters that needed to be adjusted and moved. And it's an old barn, and the electrical wiring is a bit sketchy to say. I mean, that's probably being generous. It's a bit sketchy. In fact, the deeper we've gotten into the barn, I'm surprised the thing hasn't burnt down already. And so as we were doing some demolition and removing some things, there was this one box that I'm not all familiar with. I should have probably called Phil for safety reasons, but we're trying to remove this box, and we hit it just right, and it sparked, and, it, and uh, we knew that obviously there's some power to this, 
this box, and the gentleman, uh, we laughed, and, and uh, the gentleman who's helping, he, he encouraged me to kind of find, figure out which breaker, you know, blew, or hopefully the breaker blew, it, it didn't, but it should have, and uh, he told me, he said, if you're not careful, he said, you're going to have a dead amigo in here. And uh, so I, we jokingly, every time I walk in the barn, I, I, I say, is, the, is my amigo alive still? Well, all that being said, we, we had to, um, I knew we had, to, we had to move this wire. And so later that evening, uh, I went out to the barn and I was hesitant because I wasn't, and again, Phil, I, I need to have you on speed dial, uh, right, honestly. So I was hesitant because this wire, it's a thick wire, you know, it's like, okay, 110, that'll, you know, that might make my beard stand on end a little bit, but it probably won't kill me. Um, but this wire just looked peculiar. It was, looked a little bit heavier. And so I repeatedly went back and I'm flipping all these breakers and I'm like trying to figure out how to shut the entire barn down and do this. And I've got my little tester and I'm trying to test it and make sure that there's no power running through these wires. And uh, so finally, uh, I got the urge, right? I, I mean, I actually have to kind of get myself up to the point. It's like, okay, I'm going to actually cut these wires. And at first, I was standing on a ladder. And I thought, that's probably not a wise idea because, because if, it, if it does do shock or if it does kind of blow up in front of me, then, then I'd fall off the floor. And so I cleared the place behind me if it did knock me back, you know, and like safety first, right, Phil? And so, I, so I'm reaching up and finally I cut the, and took several cuts to get through this thick wire because clearly my wire cutters are dull. And uh, well, as you can tell, I live to tell about it, right? Here, here I am. So, um, but, but I was reminded, right, as I'm always trying to think about sermon illustrations, I was reminded the reason why I feared this wire wasn't because the wire itself really poses any danger or any risk. The reason I fe feared this wire is because of the power that the wire carried through it, right? I mean, I, you, I, I'm not, I am not concerned at all about this wire right now. Why? Because it's detached from its power source, we're studying this morning uh, the giving of the Holy Spirit. And so, uh, you know, again, by itself, the wire is, is mostly harmless. I'm sure my children would find a way to do some damage with that little stretch of wire. But by and large, it's mostly harmless. harmless. It's, instead, it's the power that is behind the wire, that flows through the wire, that pulses through the strands of copper that enliven the copper wire to do its work. You, you detach it from the power source and it doesn't do much. You hook it to the power source and now you have a great instrument, a great tool. And in a similar way that a wire relies on a power source for its effectiveness, as believers, we also rely, or we should, we rely on a power source for our effectiveness, and that source is the Holy Spirit. In fact, Jesus gives this instruction, doesn't he? He gives the instruction to his followers there in verse 8 of chapter 1. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. 
All right, the instruction was to go back to Jerusalem and wait, wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to come. And he says, you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This morning, we're looking at the power of the Holy Spirit. And sadly, I think probably for many of us, we, we don't rely on the Spirit's power enough, do we? Unfortunately, uh, many of us try to serve the Lord in our own strength, in our own power. One commentator has stated that there's an appalling ignorance of the person and the work of the Holy Spirit in our church bodies. More often, it's not what we have done for God that counts, but rather, really what counts is what is done by God through us as we yield ourselves to the leading of the Holy Spirit, right? And churches, programs and propaganda, personnel and pep rallies, right? These, these are not enough. There must be power. And God's work must be done by God's people in God's way. Far too many people assemble at God's house who don't really believe in the power of God. Having begun in the Spirit, we live, we often live in the flesh, right? Never, and he refers to electricity here, he says, never has the church had more wire stretched with less power running through it. So this morning as we study Acts chapter 2, really the big idea as we go from here is this is that we would learn to rely on the Holy Spirit's power for our witnessing. That we would learn to rely on the Holy Spirit's power for our witnessing. We see, let's go ahead and, and look here. We see, right, many, if, if you grew up in church or if you're somewhat familiar with the book of Acts, you might recognize that, that festival, the festival of Pentecost. It says there in verse 1, it begins, it says, When the day of Pentecost came... They were all together in one place. And, and the they that's being referred to, that's referenced there, is, is the 120 people who had gathered, most likely there in that upper room. And so they had gathered again. They were living in obedience. Jesus had given them this instruction. He said, stay in Jerusalem, right? Go to Jerusalem until, until I send my spirit, until the power comes. And it's, it's the, on this particular day, this festival day, the day of Pentecost, the the, the Pentecost celebration, it was a yearly festival that was, often, that was also referred to as the festival of the harvest of the first fruits. And we see that there in the book of Exodus. The day of Pentecost, it was an annual Jewish feast that was held in Jerusalem. And it would have been likely attended. Uh, it would have been one of the three festivals that, that was required attendance for many of the Jews. Jews who lived up to 20 miles around Jerusalem, they were expect, expected to travel to Jerusalem to attend these feasts. And Pentecost usually fell in late May or early June. And so the traveling conditions would have made it possible for Jews 
who, who would have lived further away to also visit Jerusalem too. And so we, we have this sense that Jerusalem has swelled with people, with pilgrims who have come to participate in this annual festival, the day of Pentecost, or the, the festival of the harvest of first fruits. And so these factors account for the large number of Jews that we read of that are in Jerusalem on this particular day. And it's this day, right? When we think about the day of Pentecost, we think about the giving of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes down for them, it would have just been another one of the festivals they attended. But there's a few observations. We won't necessarily go through this verse by verse, but rather there are a few, several observations that I'd like to make as we consider this day, this festival of Pentecost, in which we think of it as being when the Holy Spirit, when the power came and the Holy Spirit now is able to flow through us, the very power of God flowing through us. Church, that is a remarkable thought, isn't it? that the very power of God flows through us. Well, first, here, here's a first observation I'd like to make, is that the, the, the Holy Spirit is the promised presence of Christ. That the Holy Spirit is the promised presence of Christ. This event that we read of in Acts 2, it was a, it was a, a long foretold, it was a prophesied event of the Holy Spirit coming. It had been declared hundreds of years prior to this event, that God would indeed pour His Spirit out on His people. We see in books and prophets like Ezekiel and Zechariah, the prophet Isaiah, all of them foretell of a day when God is going to pour His Spirit out on His people. In particular, Zechariah says, he says, and I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem right? A spirit of grace and supplication. So Zechariah is even specific here that this spirit that God says I will pour out is, is specifically going to begin, right? The pouring out will be there in Jerusalem. Then you look into the, the New Testament. You look at John the Baptist. Even John the Baptist uh, looked forward to the giving of the Holy Spirit. Where in Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist, he says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but the one who's coming after me is more powerful than I am. Remember, John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. Right? John the Baptist is, is getting everyone's attention, and as he gets their, captures their attention, he says, look to this one, look to the Son of God who's coming. And so John the, the people were amazed with John the Baptist, but John the Baptist says, don't be amazed at me. Instead, be amazed at the one who is coming after me, where he says, but the one coming after me is more powerful than I, than I am. John says, I am not even worthy to carry his sandals. And then he goes on, and John says, he, being Jesus, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And so we see here that, that this event that is displayed for us in Acts chapter 2 was a, would have been an anticipated, they didn't know exactly how it was going to happen, but they anticipated an event to happen like this. Now, it's also important to remember that in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit did not indwell every believer, okay? Instead, uh, God would give and remove His Holy Spirit from those who believed. And, and so, in, in the Old Testament, you just have a, a handful of individuals who are, where it's described of the Holy Spirit 
coming into them, filling them. You might remember David's prayer of repentance after his sin with Bathsheba there in, in Psalm 51, I believe it is, where David's, David pleads with the Lord. You might be familiar with this. He, he says, God, please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Right? He, he recognizes the gift, the blessing of the Holy Spirit. He saw what happened to King Saul when God removed his spirit from him. King Saul went crazy. And David's like, I don't want to go crazy. So Lord, please, as he prays, he says, God, do not remove your Holy Spirit from me. And so there in the Old Testament, we see how God gave the Holy Spirit. He would, he would empower people with his Holy Spirit for a period of time. And then at other times, he would, he would remove his Holy Spirit from them. We see that God would empower some of the civic leaders, some of the governing officials in the Old Testament with his Spirit. When the tabernacle was being built, God would, God would give his Holy Spirit to the specific, to these to these these artisans, these, these skilled trade people, God would give His Holy Spirit to them so that they can work even with greater perfection as they're building His tabernacle. I thought about that. Wouldn't that be incredible, right? I mean, what, what a thought. I mean, that's the type of guy you want remodeling your kitchen, isn't it, right? I, I mean, think about the advertising that you would, right? We have licensed and bonded, right? Member of the BB&B, the, the Better Business Bureau, and then under, underneath it, filled with the Holy Spirit, right? As you're driving around Jerusalem that day, right? Call, call me if you want a guy who's filled with the Holy Spirit to remodel your bathroom. It'll look good. But we see in the Old Testament, God would give the Holy Spirit, and then he would take his Holy Spirit from them. And we're learning here in chapter 2 that there's a new, it's a new period, right? It's a new season of God's plan where now he's going to give his spirit to these people and the spirit will remain in them. Sadly, I think some of us tend to take the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives for granted, don't we? Right? Rather than taking full advantage of the Spirit in our lives, uh, we try to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We try to live life in our own strength. I even wonder if God were to remove the Holy Spirit from your life, would you even notice that the Holy Spirit is gone? Right? There's that old saying, you don't know what you've got until it's gone. Would you recognize the Holy Spirit's absence in your life? I mean, think about what it must have been like for the people of the Old Testament to long for the continuation of the Holy Spirit in their life, right? They would, in the Old Testament, they're just merely getting a sampling of what life is like to be lived with this presence of God dwelling within them. Again, that's why David says, Lord, please don't take your presence from me, your Holy Spirit from me. Right? In the Old Testament, they're only getting a sampling, whereas in the New Testament, then they get the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I, I kind of thought, what, like, what's the difference? What, what would that crossover be where in the Old Testament, you just have a sampling of it, and then in the New Testament, you get the fullness of it? And so clearly, my mind was taken to food, which often is the case, and I thought, what could this compare? How, how can I illustrate this? Well, how many of you enjoy going to Costco or Sam's Club? And how many of you enjoy just going there around dinner time for the samples? Right? Maybe you 
take your family and tow, and they've got all of these little samples, right? You can go from one to the next and get the artichoke dip, and then go and get some of these pita chips, and then you go and get some of these little little meat wieners. I've done this before, right? And then if you're if you're at Costco as you're as you're heading down the main stretch toward the registers, then they have that uh, Chicago style popcorn. They always have that available for samples, right? They want you to buy a big bag of that. But it's only a sample, right? I leave there still hungry. Whereas I, now I've never been to this restaurant, but I've heard about this Brazilian steakhouse in downtown, right? What's it called? Like Brazeros? Or is anyone familiar with that? Thank, thank you. Have you been there, Bill? Is it good? Okay. And and my understanding is that is that you can sit down, and they will just continue to bring meat to you. Like, I'm thinking, and, and Bill is, is my witness back there. He has been there. Would you go again, Bill? Yeah, yeah absolutely, right? Addie's father, Carrie, has been there, and he was telling me all about it last weekend. And I'm thinking, when can I go? Right? That must have been somewhat like you go to Sam's Club or Costco and you get a small sample, whereas you go to this Brazilian steakhouse and they just keep bringing meat to you. You're filled to the full. And what it must have been like for, the, for these, these believers there in this Acts 2 moment where they'd only seen a sample of the Holy Spirit, but now they have the fullness of the Spirit. And yet for many of us, we take the Spirit for granted, don't we? But Jesus, however, even adds a little bit more of a twist to this. Because nearing the end of his earthly ministry, and again, we know Jesus promised the Holy Spirit, didn't he? And nearing the end of his earthly ministry and shortly before Calvary, Jesus adds a twist to the fulfillment of this long-anticipated promise of the pouring out of the Spirit. It's in John 14 that Jesus announces to his disciples that he's going to be going away from them. And the disciples express concern regarding, regarding Christ's departure, but Jesus responds to their concern by promising to them that he will come again. Now, contextually, like when we think of Jesus coming again, we think of his final return, don't we? When he's going to be riding in as the judge, as the king of kings and the Lord of lords, we think of it that. But contextually, here in John chapter 14, uh, Jesus is not speaking, he's not simply speaking about his resurrection or his final return, but instead he's speaking about how he is going to be coming again in the gift of the Holy Spirit. And what Jesus does is he helps us to understand that the indwelling Holy Spirit is the indwelling of Jesus Christ in our lives. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul even references the Holy Spirit as being the Spirit of Christ. Now that will change the way you live, won't it? When you consider and when you think that Jesus Christ himself in the Holy Spirit dwells within you. We are in Christ and Christ is in us. We abide in Christ and Christ abides in us. Paul says that Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. Think about how you live your daily life. The decisions you make. 
the shows you watch, the things you talk about, the things you allow your mind to wander to, the conversations you have, all of that. That if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the very presence of Christ through the person of the Holy Spirit is there with you. Right? Maybe parents, maybe you've told your children as they're getting ready to go out on a date, right? Remember, you know, just pretend that Jesus is sitting in that passenger seat right next to you, right? Or, or pretend like when you go to the movie, pretend that grandma's there beside you, right? Would she want you watching that? We've, we've done that. Have, but how often do we think, do we re- remind ourselves that the presence of Christ is there with us in the Holy Spirit, And talk about being a witness for the Lord. Shouldn't that help govern our conversations? Shouldn't that help govern our decisions? There in the the book of Acts, right? The emphasis is on uh, these followers being witnesses to the resurrected Jesus, to the resurrected Savior. And so really the question then is how can we be witnesses to the resurrection of our Savior? It's because the resurrected Savior indwells us through the Holy Spirit, through the Spirit of Christ, right? We are assured of Christ's presence in our lives because of our desire to live in obedience to Christ's command, right? When when you live in obedience to Christ's command, that reminds you and assures you that the risen Savior dwells within you. Then we go on here. All right, so we see the promised presence of Christ again. So, so think that. And again, as Jesus tells, even tells his disciples as he's getting ready to leave, he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Well, how, how is this fulfilled? It's fulfilled here in the giving of the Holy Spirit, that the very presence of Christ is here. He doesn't leave us. He doesn't turn his back on us. And the coming of the Holy Spirit fulfills that to be true. And then here in chapter 2, we see the Holy Spirit's enablement. Uh, Looking here specifically at verse 4, we read how the Holy Spirit enabled the people to speak in other tongues. It says in verse verse 4, it says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And and who's the all of them? The all of them is the 120 who had gathered there in that room, who were waiting, who were living in obedience to Jesus' instructions, and Jesus then pours out his Holy Spirit. And it says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit did what? Enabled them. Now, this morning, we're not going to get lost in all the weeds of trying to figure out, and, the, and it's okay to, to go down these bunny trails, but this morning, we won't be able to do it. Uh, we're not going to be able to identify all the finer details of the filling of the Spirit, or, the, or is, is speaking in tongues a practice for today? Rather, the emphasis here in the text really is on the power of the Holy Spirit. Luke wants us to see how the Spirit enables us, how the Spirit fills us. The disciples were being sent into the world with the gospel. And and Jesus did not want them going into the world with the gospel in their own strength. Right? If they would have gone in their own strength, nothing would have happened. In fact, later in in chapter 2, as we'll learn next Sunday, no one would have believed if the Holy Spirit had not blessed Peter's preaching, right? We're going, to, we're going to go through, we'll have a sermon on a sermon. How's that sound next week, right? We'll have a sermon on Peter's sermon, on his preaching, and we'll see how, how, how his, his preaching was effective because he was filled with the Spirit, because he was allowing the Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit to flow through him. You see that be, before sending the church into the world, Christ for first sent the Spirit 
into the church. And it's the Holy Spirit that enables the people for the task of witnessing. Right, Just as the presence of the Spirit and all believers is a new reality in the New Testament, so too is the Holy Spirit enablement in all believers. Again, I mentioned earlier how there in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come and go and it would enable people to carry out a task. Now, as followers of Jesus Christ in this New Testament age, we have been enabled to be witnesses. Why? Not in our own strength but through the power of the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean for us? That means that there's no excuse for us to not be a witness. How many of you are good at finding excuses on why, uh, on why maybe I should just step back from this witnessing opportunity, right? I am, right? Have you ever walked away from a situation and thought, man, ooh, I blew it. I'm that, like, God... I mean, it's like T-ball, right? God just put one right, right out there for me to just lay the gospel out there for them, but I didn't. But yet we, we do seem to have a way of being experts in finding excuses, don't we? Well, the Holy Spirit indwells us. There is no excuse for us. Not wanting to give us a guilt trip, but instead just to speak reality is that the Spirit enables us, gives us the power to be a witness of how Christ has changed your life and my life. The same Spirit who empowered and enabled Christ in His life on earth also indwells every believer. The Spirit of Christ dwells within us and enables us to do what God has called us to do. The minute we believe in Christ, God gives us the Holy Spirit and He works through us by the enablement of the Holy Spirit. And I want us to understand that this Holy Spirit is not, uh, it, it's not determined based on age, right? But instead that even a young child, even a young child who trusts in Jesus Christ gets the fullness of the Holy Spirit. You've probably heard me talk about how, you know, God doesn't send a, a, a Mick Jr. version of the Holy Spirit to a child, but that even you, young person, middle school student, high school student, college student, you have been filled, you have been enabled, you have been given the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Sinclair Ferguson writes regarding the Holy Spirit, talking about the Spirit that, that, uh, that enabled Jesus, that filled Jesus in his earthly ministry. It says, Sinclair Ferguson writes, he says, the Spirit who was present and active at Jesus' conception as the head of the new creation by whom he was anointed at his baptism, the same Spirit who directed Jesus throughout his temptations, the same Spirit who empowered him in his miracles, the same Spirit who energized, who energized Jesus in His sacrifice. The same Spirit then who also vindicated Jesus in His resurrection. That same Spirit now indwells every believer. Every believer. That we have been, that we are enabled and indwelt by that very Holy Spirit. And that God gives us the Spirit 
to do what he has called us to do. And within this book of Acts, we learn that God has called his people to serve as witnesses. Church, I wonder, is your daily life consciously dependent on the Holy Spirit? And how often do you ask the Lord and say, God, help me to live in the power of your Spirit that I might serve as your witness? Or even a prayer that might go something like this, Lord, today, what witnessing opportunities have you called me to? Right, have, how, do, how do you begin your day? Right, for most of us, you begin your day with hitting the snooze bar 10 or 15 times, right, crawling out of bed, getting around work. Like even Tom, he, he needs to hit that snooze bar again. He's yawning on me all, over here. But right, we, we be, sorry, Tom. We, we begin our day. You have, you have a reason. You're de- you've been at the hospital a lot. We, we begin our day right, just kind of rolling out of bed and getting started. And often we just kind of get into the motions of the day, don't we? And we neglect to begin the day and say, God, how, what witnessing opportunities do you have before me today? And God, would you fill me with your spirit and enable me to carry out that call to witness? Right? The intended goal for the spirit's enablement in our lives, one of those intended goals is that we would witness. And why do we want to witness? We want to witness for God's glory. In fact, later in verse 11, we see that the people are heard speaking in their own tongues. And what are they doing in their own tongues? Enabled by the Holy Spirit. They are giving glory to God. They're declaring the wonders of God. God gives us the spirit to serve as his witness. And then a final observation is this, is that we have the creation of a new community, right? When the, here here in, in Acts chapter 2, we see that the very Spirit of Christ is given to us. Then we see how, how the, the Holy Spirit enables us to carry out our task. And then we see here in Acts chapter 2 that the creation, there's a creation of a new community, in fact, in, in the Old Testament prophet, in the Old Testament book of Joel, uh, he talks about this new community that's going to be established by the Spirit. Joel, in Joel chapter 2, he says that after all of this, Joel speaking through, or God speaking through the prophet Joel, after all of this, I will pour out my Spirit on all kinds of people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. You, you elderly, you will have revelation dreams your young men will see prophetic visions even on male and female servants i will pour out my spirit in those days in fact it's going we're going to see it next week in peter's sermon uh, peter even quotes this passage from joel chapter 2 to highlight the creation of this new community that god is establishing through the giving of his holy spirit and Peter is going to get, he's giving an answer as to why all of these different people from all of these different regions, they're all speaking in this way and, and why, why they're being, these, some of these are being filled with the Spirit, the very Spirit of Christ, and why they're enabled by the Holy Spirit, why they're declaring mighty deeds. Again, right, the people ask there as Janae at the end of uh, in verse 13, as the people ask, they say, Verse 12, they, they're wondering, what's going on, right? What does this mean? Some of them just think they've had too much, too much wine to drink. 
But what we see here is that all of these people from all of these different lands, speaking all of these different languages, what we see is that God is creating a new community that crosses over all barriers. It crosses over all barriers. We also see here in, this, in the creation of this new community, we also see that the details of Acts chapter 2 uh, they have a, it has a way of providing us with echoes of Old Testament events, right? Uh, some commentators have even suggested that the sound of the blowing of the violent wind echoes the Im- imagery of the account of, of God's creative act in the book of Genesis. What I thought was interesting, and maybe you all knew this before, before I did, I, I, which would be, wouldn't, wouldn't be unusual, but I noticed that you don't see the effects of the wind, but what does it say? It says they, they heard the sound of the wind, right? There's, there's an audible sound of the wind, right? It says suddenly, in verse 2, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and it filled the whole house where, where they were sitting. And so some commentators believe that that's a reference, that the sound of the wind coming, of, of being blown, is a reference of when God created first his, his first creative act there of the sound of God's voice and his creation bringing newness to life. So that's one echo. We also see another echo of the Old Testament of being in the tongues of fire. In verse 3, we see that they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Fire in the Old Testament was frequently used as a symbol of God's presence. Right? Maybe even think back through some of the different accounts of fire there in the Old Testament. We see it in Genesis chapter 15. Right? Behold, there appeared as, as God is making a covenant with Abram, with Abraham. Right? There appeared a smoking oven and what a flaming torch which, which passed between the pieces of the animals as God's making this covenant. It's, it's a symbol of God's presence. When Moses was first called by God, what did the voice of the Lord call out from? A burning bush, right? Again, there's this, the beginning of something new. Uh, we also even see in Exodus chapter 13 that the Lord, He was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way. And... and and a pillar of what? You know the answer. And a pillar of what? Of fire by night. To give them light that they might travel by day and by night. Later there as we look at Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter, four, uh, Exodus chapter 24. It says the glory of the Lord was like a consuming what? A consuming fire on the mountaintop. We also know in Exodus chapter 40, then the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and again, there was fire in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel. So what we see here is not only is the sound of this rushing wind that blows in, but even the sight of the fire gives us references back to the Old Testament, the, the, the continuation, but also the creation of this new community that God is establishing, and it's not a community that is divided by Jews and Gentiles anymore, is it? But instead, it's, as Joel tells us, this new community that is made up of men and women, that's made up by old and young, that's made up by various, by, by people of all races, 
all life situations. And so this passage is giving us the beautiful details of God creating a new community, that which will later in the book of Acts be referred to as the church. You might remember Jesus said he will build his church, won't we? And it's here in Acts chapter 2 where the foundation and the stone walls of this church are being erected. And what is it that's moving through the people in the establishment of this church? What's the power? It's the Holy Spirit. And as members of this new community, we are now entrusted with the task of serving as witnesses to the resurrected Jesus who has changed our lives. Who's changed our lives. How do we know that the resurrected Savior lives? Because the Spirit of Christ lives in you and even today at this very moment is changing you. Is working in your heart. And together as a church body, we encourage one another to fulfill the calling of witnessing to the world. We're called to witness to the world to what we know to be true. The beauty of the church is that we are not alone in our duty. Instead, we witness to the world together. This week, while I was working at my Fern Creek office, also known as Panera, down there, because they, as you know, as many of you are aware, they have the coffee subscription, and I take full advantage of it. And I've gotten to know a gentleman by the name of Clay. Clay's a believer. He loves Jesus. And this week, uh, he had told me a couple weeks ago about his son, Haddon, who had surgery. And so as he, and I, I plant myself right there by the door. And I, it's almost like I'm, I'm the Panera greeter, right? You have Walmart greeters and you have Panera greeters. And there I am. And, uh, and so Clay, he comes in and I ask him, I say, hey, how, how's your son doing? And he tells me how his son Haddon is doing. And then he, he says, what are you studying? He knows I'm a pastor. He's like, what are you studying? What are you preaching on right now? And I said, Acts chapter two. He's like, oh, he said, I love Acts chapter two. And then he, he continued to tell me, give me some of his, his story. He said, I came to know the Lord uh, shortly before going off to college. And he said, I went off to college and he said, I he said, I just began witnessing. He said, I, I would go and I would buy these gospel tracts and then I would convince a buddy or two of mine to go to Walmart. And we'd go to Walmart and he said, while I was in college, we would just go and pass out these gospel pamphlets to people and get into these conversations about Jesus. And he said, I loved doing that. I loved telling people about Jesus. And then we continued talking on, and, and I'll, how many of you sometimes fear, like, like the idea of going and passing out gospel pamphlets, does, like, does that sometimes strike you with fear? Yeah, I think for a lot of us. And so I'm listening to Clay, and I, in my own spirit, I'm thinking, Lord, yes, like that, that's what I want to do. And he continues to tell me and, and continues to share. And he said, you know, and he starts getting emotional. He said, I've not been doing that for a long time. And we, we get that, don't we? Right? Life often seems to just get in the way of what God has called us to do more often than not. And he starts getting emotional. And he said, I really miss 
taking that time to go and tell people about Jesus. Man, I'm listening to Clay, and I just want to kind of like sit a little bit closer to him, hoping maybe some of that spirit, right, whatever Holy Spirit he's got, will kind of overflow into my life, because that's what I want. But then, as you think about the fact that we are called to the creation of a new community, that we are not called to go out and do this on our own, are we? That we have each other, that we together can share these stories, that I can hear someone like Clay tell me about how much he misses telling people about Jesus, going, and, and going to Walmart and passing out gospel pamphlets, and how God uses that to kind of fan the flame in my own heart. As we read through the book of Acts and as we study it, we're going to see how the Apostle Paul often would, he would travel away and he would go and tell, start churches and tell people about Jesus and then he would come back and he would give reports of how God is working in this. And, and what's the value of a, good, of a report, of a good testimony? What does it do? It fills our own hearts and encourages us to do more of the same. And I think one of the beauties of the creation of this new community is for us to re be reminded that we aren't witnessing by ourselves. But not only do we have the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ inside of us, but we have each other. And church, I wonder, how can our conversations change to become more gospel, more, more centered on witnessing. Man, already this morning, I have had several conversations about the football games that are going to take place this afternoon. And outside of this sermon, I've not had any conversation. I've not shared anything about my own side, my own opportunities to share the gospel. None of you have shared about with it with me about witnessing. And so what does that tell us? What does that tell me? Well, for probably for a lot of us, we take our football more seriously than we take our witnessing. And that's a, that's a, that's a reality, isn't it? And so for me, for you, like I, I want to be more like, I want to be more like Clay, who who longs for more opportunities to tell people about Jesus. Is it my daily desire to bear witness of Christ to those who have not believed in Jesus? The Holy Spirit has been given. The Holy Spirit has been given, been given to me, been given to you the fullness of the Spirit. Paul reminds us this, the, very, the Spirit of Christ dwells inside of you, enabling you to the task that you've been called to, that I've been called to, to bear witness of the changing power, of the changing grace of our Savior, the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And here in the book of Acts, as we see and as we continue to travel through it, we see the Holy Spirit is now given in Acts chapter 2. And, and moving forward, it's going to show us how God has done something unique and powerful in a small group of 120 people. 
to fill them with the Holy Spirit, turning them from frightened men and women who are waiting in a locked upper room, who then turn into bold proclaimers of the gospel. Men and women, young and old, boys and girls, how does this happen? It happens through the power of the Holy Spirit. And oh, that we would orient our lives, would yield our lives to the leading and the power of that Holy Spirit to be flowing through us. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you, uh, Lord, for your spirit. Lord, I ask that you would just help each of us uh, to evaluate our lives and to... Lord, that your spirit would, would bring conviction on those areas of our lives that we try to live in our own strength. And God, I pray that you even would uh, bring conviction in our hearts, not guilt and shame, but God, just simple conviction uh, that would cause us to, to witness more freely. Lord, I pray that you would remove from us the fear of man and that you would embolden us to tell people about Jesus. And God, I do praise you that we don't do that in our strength. We do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we have each other to encourage one another in that task. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.